Okay, so we know that these days, many, many people have food uh, disorders, uh, allergies, and sensitivities. It's become very, very common. If you ask your grandparents, uh, if they knew anyone who was gluten-free growing up or lactose intolerant, they wouldn't know what you're talking about. But today, it's extremely, extremely common. So here's a, a true story that happened in Israel. A lovely family whose first child, when he started eating foods, they noticed that he developed some rashes and some quite uh, serious reaction. They weren't sure what it was, was to. But at a certain point, after eating something, this child was, was gasping for air, lips were going uh, blue, like they looked look terrible. And so they quickly called emergency and got him to the emergency room. And where they, the, the emergency staff there dealt with this child and said, this is a reaction to food. This is, this is an, uh, an intolerance, an allergy. And through some tests, they discovered that it was a milk intolerance, cow's milk, that this child is lactose intolerant to the extreme, very, very sensitive to cow's milk. And they treated him immediately. He was completely fine. He got back to himself uh, completely. And in the hospital, they gave the mother a letter, which states uh, the, the, a letter from the, from the hospital saying that this child is very severely intolerant to cow's milk. And they informed the mother that uh, obviously from now on, you have to make sure he stays away from cow's milk. But we want to let you know that with this letter, you can go to your insurance company and the insurance company will give you a stipend like uh, to, to cover milk alternatives that you're going to have to, from now on, buy for him non-dairy milk, uh, almond milk or oat milk or whatever it might be. Uh, which is more expensive than cow's milk. And so there is a, an offer with the insurance companies. They'll cover it. They'll, 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 they'll uh, give you a certain amount per year to cover the extra expense of your child who is severely lactose intolerant to buy milk alternatives, which is a nice, uh, a nice thing that the, that the insurance companies do. We haven't got to the dilemma yet. The dilemma came with the second child. The next child in the family, they were a little bit more cautious about. Now, when, when you're aware of these things, you then you're careful. Otherwise, you, you'd never have thought it. And so with the next child, they wanted to, to see if the child is also lactose intolerant in, in, in this way. So they gave the child a little tiny drop of milk and they indeed saw a very similar reaction, not so extreme this time, because then they gave a small amount, but there was a reaction, the skin started flaring up and they realized that this child is also intolerant of cow's milk. Um, the issue was that uh, they're going to now have to buy a lot more milk substitutes for another child. They are getting an allowance from insurance for one child but that's only because that child had the emergency situation. When they contacted the, contact, the, uh, the insurance company and said, our second child has the same intolerance, so we, 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 uh, we need more of an allowance, the insurance company said, well, uh, we need documentation of that. We, we need that to be, um, to be proven. We, we can't just go on your word. So, well, how do you prove it? The first time they proved it was because they had an emergency situation that had to be dealt with. How are they going to get that documentation again? So one of their friends 
said, I'll, I'll give you a simple solution. Give your kid milk. They'll have, you'll have to take them to the emergency room and you'll get the letter. It's that simple. Now, you could suggest that maybe there's a simpler solution. Maybe you can go to some allergy expert who can give you that documentation. Maybe, but that, that did not occur to them. Or maybe that wasn't available to them. Or maybe the insurance company only covers it after there's been a, a proven case where it's so severe. The, the allergy might be tested, but it's quite rare for somebody to have such a, re, a severe reaction, and only then will the insurance company cover it. However, the, the case may be, the scenario was that this mother was, was given this suggestion, why don't you just give your child a, a gulp of milk? They're going to suffer from it, from, from, the, from the reaction. You're going to have to take them to the emergency room, but they'll be fine. You saw what happens. They'll be fine. You'll get the letter and, and you'll, you'll get the allowance for, for both of your kids for milk substitutes for the rest of their childhood. Can you do that? Can a mother do that? Can you put someone in danger, even though you're quite confident that the danger is minimal, in order to get paid, get some money? Can we just say that if the answer is yes, I think I'd rather not know. <laughs> it sounds horrible. To put your child through that for, for a bit of money sounds absolutely horrible. But let's for a moment think that maybe the family really needs it, like really needs the money. This is not just to have a bit of extra money so you know, the, the, the shopping bills are, lo are lower. If, if they don't get this money, they won't be able to buy these milk substitutes. Milk in many places itself is subsidized. Milk is, but milk substitutes are not. If this family is dependent on those subsidies, and now they've got two children who cannot drink milk, and, and that's a, a staple, basic, daily food. And so we're talking about not just to, you know, get a little bit extra or make it a little bit easier. We're talking about between feeding the kids or not being able to feed the kids. So to make it a little bit more, um, more of a dilemma, for thank, thank God for most of us, we wouldn't dream of putting a child into even discomfort uh, for the sake of a bit of cash. But what if, what if it was more than just that? What if, what if the need was greater? So to get to, get to the answer, and, and we'll, we'll listen till the end, we have to analyze what, what, is it, what is the parameters of danger? What does it mean to put someone into danger? And how much danger is permissible and how much danger is not permissible? Generally speaking, there's a Torah rule. The Talmud says that one should not put oneself in a position of danger. Don't endanger yourself. That's a general statement. But of course, that has to be qualified because we endanger ourselves every time we get out of bed in the morning, walk across the street, or put our head into a helicopter propeller. We're, we're, we're endangering ourselves all the time, every, every day, to some extent. The question is, what extent is a permissible, allowable danger, and what not? And, and for what good, for what benefit, for what purpose are we allowed to endanger ourselves? So here specifically... For our discussion, we're talking about endangering yourself in order to make money. How much danger are you allowed to put yourself in in order to make a little bit of money? So there's an interesting discussion in one of the halachic uh, sources, the Noida Yehuda, a great halachic authority from the uh, 1700s, where he 
he discusses uh, about a Jew who asked him, can he go into the business of hunting, to hunt for a living? And the Noida Yehuda there discusses the various halachic issues with hunting, that hunting for sport is cruelty to animals, and that's, that's certainly a problem. Hunting for business, that, you, that you're going to sell the hides or the animals uh, uh, for, whatever, for whatever reason, you're going to make money out of it, that, that becomes slightly different. Uh, but e- even there, there are certain potential problems. One of them that is brought up by the Noida Behuda is the danger involved. If you're in the world of hunting, hunting, game hunting, going out into the jungle, um, shooting, other people are shooting as well, there's a certain level of danger. You're putting yourself in danger. And the question is if you're allowed to do that. In fact, the Noida Behuda brings uh, as the paradigm of the greatest hunter that we know of was our cousin Esau. Esau, the twin brother of Jacob, our forefather, he was called Ish Sayed, a hunting man, a man that went, went to hunt. And uh, he himself, Esau, the expert hunter, testified just how dangerous hunting is. Because when Jacob wanted to buy his birthright, the, the rights to being, of being the firstborn, what Esau said is, I'm going to die anyway, what do I need this birthright for? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die anyway, which one of the commentaries, the Ramban, Nachmanadi says, what does it mean I'm going to die? Esau said, I'm a hunter. And when you're a hunter, you kill, but you also, you also get killed. There's, there's, a, there's a risk going out there in the, in the hunting world. And so I'm going to die anyway. I, I live on the edge. So therefore, what difference does it make? What do I need a birthright for? So from here, the no debuter says, from here you see that the occupation of hunting is one that really risks your life. And so there's a question, how much are you allowed to do that? Can you risk your life to make a living? And so he says that if, only if the person who wants to become a hunter has no other way of making a living, they're good at this, they've got this opportunity, but they don't have other opportunities to make a living. Otherwise, they're going to be poor. They're going to be left in poverty. If that is the case, and if you can establish that the risk is minimal, it's not a, a, an absolute terrible high risk, there's a risk but not a terrible risk, then you'd be able to do it. But, so in other words, to go into a little bit of danger in order to make a living that you have no other choice, you're certainly allowed to do that, says the no order. You're allowed to have that level of danger. Another example of this is uh, going out to sea. We know that, that um, the, the, the Talmud says that a person who crosses an ocean has to make a blessing when they, when they cross the ocean, thanking God. Thank God, the, the God who has bestowed good upon me that I survived crossing an ocean. In other words, the Talmud recognized crossing an ocean is a dangerous thing to do. And yet we're allowed to do that. You're allowed to cross oceans, even though it's dangerous. Particularly one of, the, one of the main reasons people did cross the ocean was not just for tourism, but for business. It was a permissible thing to do. Fascinatingly, there's a story in the Midrash of Rabbi Nassan, who was going out to sea. And he said to his brothers, please pray for me. I'm going out to sea. Please pray for me. So they say, what should we pray for you? Why, Why should we pray for you? Uh, you're going out in the most dangerous time. There's certain seasons where the ocean is more rough. Uh, particularly, it says after the festival of Sukkot, this time of year now uh, is when the sea is the roughest up in the northern hemisphere, when it's going into the, the winter and the colder times. There are more storms. You're choosing to go out to, to sea at this time. Why should we pray for you? You're, you're depending on a miracle. You're relying on miracles. Uh, they were upset at him for doing it. But he still did it. He still, he still actually did it. A similar story is told of Rabbi Yeshua, the son of Rabbi Tanchuma. 
who he um, was going out to Asia, it says, on a ship. And as he was going out, there was a woman who said to him, you're going out now this time of year? You're crazy? You're going on a ship now? Uh, he heard what he said, but she said, but didn't, didn't take note. He had a dream of his father, who his father came to him in a dream, who had passed away, and said to him, my son is going to uh, die and not be buried. In other words, you're going to go out to sea, you're not going to get burial. Like in a dream, his father said that to him. Now, I don't know about you, but if I would have that dream and hear that from a woman, I don't know how excited I'd be to jump on the, on the boat. But he did. He went on the boat, and sadly, he didn't make it. The, the boat sank. This story would seem to tell you that you can't take such risks. <laughs> it's, too, it's too risky to go out. Uh, however, the fact that he did it is actually shown as a proof that you can. You're allowed to go out. To, to see, you are allowed to, even though he had the dream, and even though this woman warned him about it, you're allowed to do such things, uh, otherwise he wouldn't have done it in the first place. It's not prohibited. This story is told to tell you there's a danger here, but there's a certain level of danger. How many how many ships sink? Most ships don't sink. Most people go to sea and don't, and don't sink. We recognize there's a danger there, but when the danger is, is, is minor, you're allowed to do these things, even when it is risky. Um, that, that's what, it, that's what it, it seems, at least, from... From the fact that these great sages went out to sea, they would not, it was not forbidden, even though it's a danger. In fact, it goes even further. There was a man who asked Rabbi um, Yosef Chaim of Baghdad, the, the Benish Chai, that his father, on his deathbed, said to him, please don't do anything dangerous. Look after yourself. Don't do dangerous things. This was his father's dying wish. So the father passed away, and the, and the man, some years later, had an opportunity to do business but he had to go on the ocean. He had, to, he had to go on the sea. And he was worried, am I going against my father's wish by going on, on, on a boat? Because there's a danger there. You make a blessing if you make it. So if my father said, don't do anything dangerous, is that included? Rabbi Yosef Chaim said, depends what time of year. If it's at the time of year when things are more dangerous, then you're going against his will. You shouldn't do it. If it's a normal time of year when, when the seas are, are relatively calm, there's still some danger there, but that's reasonable danger. You're allowed to do that. You're, you're allowed to go out in danger. So, from all of these things, it seems that we recognize there's dangers. We know there are th certain dangerous things. If something is a high-risk activity, so then there's less justification for doing such a thing. Something that is low-risk, there's more justification. Some say if it's less than a percent, less than 1% than chance of, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a danger, that's, that's reasonable. Less than 1 in 100. Some say 1 in 1,000. But uh, certainly minor risks we take all the time. We have to. Otherwise, you can't, you can't survive. So based on that attitude, going to our case, this mother is being, the suggestion was that she should give her child a, a, a glass of milk, knowing that he's intolerant. They're going to have to go to the emergency room. But the emergency room has a way of dealing with it. It's going to be dealt with. It's, it's going to be fine. He's going to be okay. Should she do that in order to be able to get the allowance from the insurance company to give this child the milk substitutes for the rest of his childhood? So it would be difficult to allow such a thing. First of all, the cases where, that allow you to go into danger are allowing yourself to go into danger. There is no case in Torah that says you're allowed to put somebody else in danger. That is not your right. You have a right to put yourself to calculate 
the dangers of a, of a, of a certain uh, project that you want to do and, and take that risk. You're allowed to do that as long as the, the risk is reasonable. You can take that danger on. You cannot put somebody else in danger. That, that is not your right. They can, but you can't. And when we're talking about a child, a child is not able to make that judgment. And so therefore, a parent is not allowed to put their child in danger for, for such a thing. The only possible way you could maybe justify this is if the parents are so poverty stricken that by not getting that stipend, they're not going to be able to feed their child appropriately. They're not going to be able to give the nourishment and the nutrition that the child needs. And so therefore, by placing the child in danger, it's for the child's own benefit that they'll be able to be fed properly. Only if you could establish that the risk is minuscule, is a minuscule risk, then perhaps you could allow such a thing. Even then, it would be really difficult to, to say that, that this is okay. And therefore, if we would hear about such a case, we would get together and we'd raise the money to buy them milk substitutes for the rest of their life. We, we, we would not want somebody to, to be in this position where they would need to endanger their own child. And I don't think uh, the mother could, with her, her, with her conscious, I, I don't think she could possibly put their child through even, even a temporary pain for the monetary gain that will come after, uh, unless the, the circumstances are so desperate that there's no other way. Surely we can look after them and they wouldn't have to do that. All right. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.